0: Welcome to episode three of the Implications of Deem podcast. This is your host, Wyatt Wolfman. And today we have Pete Schroeder from Thomas Reuters joining us. Let's get straight into it. In your article titled Facebook-backed project Deem to launch a new stablecoin and major shift, you discuss um, them re- relocating their major operations from Switzerland to the U.S., and I was wondering why might they have done that? Besides, with the more lax laws and regulations concerning like finance and banking, there is there any other, you know, more authentic reason that they might have been in Switzerland to begin with?
1: Well, I think a good place to start would be to take a step back and remember that DM wasn't always DM. It was originally pitched as this pro- this really ambitious project called Libra, which Facebook. Uh-huh. Put out there and basically said we think that this could be viable as as a widespread digital currency um, and the immediate reaction particularly in the united states from the regulators and from members of congress was uh, extreme concern uh, they basically they just did not trust facebook to create such a a, a um, far-reaching global currency product with all the the concerns about privacy and data security and everything else that comes with facebook these days uh there was a pretty immediate pushback Uh, to the project. Uh, And so as a result of that, Facebook kind of recalibrated, uh, and and they they decided, okay, we're not going to do Libra, we're going to do DM instead. And uh, uh, as the months ensued, the project kind of became smaller and smaller in scope. And and while Libra was originally pitched as being uh, uh, headquartered in Switzerland, um, and and the idea that it was going to be kind of spanning the globe, uh, There's a lot of pushback against the idea of, of uh, uh, starting the project in Switzerland because uh, Swiss banking regulations are, are historically known to be fairly lax. You might have heard of private yeah, Swiss bank that's, accounts. That's yeah, what that's think. what
0: that's, I was too.
1: Exactly, yeah. So, so there was a lot of pushback on, you know, there were a lot of insinuations that, oh, you must be wanting to headquarter in Switzerland because it's very lax and we're concerned about what you might be doing there. Why wouldn't you charter it in a place like the U.S. where we could keep a closer eye on you? Um, and as Facebook recalibrated the project and morphed it into DM, part of that was shifting it over into the United States, in, in large part, basically to stay in the good graces of uh, U.S. regulators who are pretty concerned about the project.
0: Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. So in that in that same article, you discuss how they're planning to launch this the first leg in the United States. However, they state their purpose as trying to connect people that don't have access to like the banking and payment system, give them access to that. So it seems counterintuitive to me that they're launching it in a place where there's probably the highest rate of people that have access to that in the world. Mm -hmm. And it raises the question to me, at least is, is that like mission statement of theirs? Is that just hogwash? Just like i guess moving the headquarters to the u.s to try to uh win the win like look more favorable in the eyes of regulators and the general public
1: yeah no that's that's a really good question and and you've really kind of gotten to the crux of the stablecoin debate right now in the u.s where uh uh, proponents of stablecoins like dm basically say this is an incredibly uh a useful tool it allows people to quickly move money uh, uh, around the world. Uh, uh, usually, if you want to transfer money from your bank account to someone else's bank account, it can take any number of days. Yeah. Under the traditional system and stablecoin proponents say, look, with the technology we use, with the blockchain, we can do that instantaneously. Uh, and that's a great tool. But right now, at least in the early stages, stablecoins aren't really used for that. They're really used to facilitate trading in and out of other, other sorts yeah. of
0: cryptocurrency,
1: right? So, um, and so the the argument that, that Diem's putting forward of, I, I basically, and, and we don't know where the project's going to go, but it, the way they pitch it is like, look, we'll start in the US, we'll build it out from there. There are any number of, of Americans who don't have access to traditional banks for whatever reason, whether that's by choice or by uh, circumstance, they can't afford the fees or whatever else it might be. So the pitch is we can start in the US, give uh, access to the financial system to people who might not have it, and then branch out from that.
0: Uh, and then I think you nailed one of the one of my later questions on the head already. I just want to circle back to it. See if you have anything else to say. Mm-hmm. So at, at a certain at a, to a certain degree deem and the payment system that it's supposed to be a part of are very similar to it's, you know, it's backed by the U S dollar. It's very similar to the U S dollar and something like PayPal. So at that point, why not just use the U S dollar? What makes it, deem advantageous over the US dollar, over things like PayPal, Venmo, Zelle, because Zelle, there's also the instantaneous, like I can get the money in my bank account in almost instant- mm-hmm. uh,
1: The The pitch that you hear from stablecoin issuers like DM is that their tool is more advantageous, number one, because you don't have to rely on the traditional financial infrastructure, say you don't have access to a bank or you don't like banks and you don't want to use them you can use a stablecoin to move money all around the world. And you don't have to worry about making it, making sure that's okay uh, uh, with a bank's approval to do that. Uh, that holds appeal to certain people. Uh, uh, what you hear a lot of times from stablecoin issuers like DM2 is just that uh, uh, th- that the financial infrastructure that they're building out is the wave of the future. This is how we're going to all move money around at some point or another. And we're starting out to build that up. And maybe the traditional system, uh, comes along with it at a later date. Maybe banks start using stable coins or something a lot like it to move money around on the blockchain. But for the time being, we're going to build it up because we think it's a viable technology and we want people to be able to use it for whatever they want to use it for, whether that's transferring money to family around the world or using it to you know buy and sell cryptocurrency.
0: Uh, so if DMK has is, is, is adopted worldwide, Facebook and the bank, Silvergate Bank out of California that backs it, they almost effectively become a sort of privatized global central bank. Mm-hmm. And well, what do you think the implications <clears throat> of that are just to, to the whole world, having a corporation play play that? Or even if it's the Deem Association and it's backed by all those corporations, it's still, it's, that, that's a pretty... Uh, new concept in this world.
1: It, it's a, it's a very new concept and, and it's interesting to you mentioned that because that brings us right back to the beginning of this conversation. When we were talking about Libra, the reaction when Facebook announced, Hey, we want to do a digital currency globally that we make available to our billions of users across the planet, the immediate reaction from regulators, like the U S federal reserve from major members of Congress in both parties, uh, was getting exactly at this concern you laid out, which is, wait a second, the job of issuing currency is the job of governments around the world, not a private corporation, let alone a corporation that we have all sorts of concerns yeah. about in Facebook. Um, so that's why they were, as, I mean, within days of it being announced, they were announcing that, you know, we're going to haul Mark Zuckerberg up here and talk to him about this and really make clear that we are very, very concerned about the idea of you guys going ahead and doing that. And as the stablecoin debate continues, what you continue to hear from regulators in the U.S. is stablecoins present opportunities, but they also present risks. And the the big overarching concern they have is right now stablecoins are relatively niche. They're used mainly by people who want to be engaging in cryptocurrency investments because that's how they gain access to the system. Um, But the concern from the regulators is, okay, what happens if this actually does become a useful way of buying and selling everyday goods? What if people actually start using this like we use regular money? What are the implications of that? What are we worried about when all of a sudden something that's not a dollar gets used like a dollar? And that's really where the debate is right now.
0: Yeah. So do, do you think that the close work with regulators is actually setting them ahead of other cryptocurrencies? <laughs> because they could, they could just, once it officially launches... They could have everything figured out with regulators, and it could be ready for full adoption and full use. Unlike so many of the cryptocurrencies that are on the market already today.
1: Yeah, you're seeing that a lot now, where there are kind of these 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 divisions among you know the cryptocurrency stablecoin landscape. There's so many products, there's so many companies. It's exploding like you know uh, uh, at an unbelievable rate. And you do have uh, uh, groups like DM, groups like Circle, other major stablecoin issuers who are taking that exact approach that you laid out, which is, look, we're going to go in, we're going to talk to the regulators. We're going to make sure that they're buying into whatever we're doing. We're going to reassure them. However, we need to reassure them to let them know that we think this is a viable, reasonable, safe product because we want them to be okay with it. And then, of course, you have the more kind of wild west corner of cryptocurrency, which is we want to be as far away from government yeah. contact as possible. The entire purpose of what we're doing is that we're going to be circumventing uh, government uh, rules and regulations because we, we're, we're trying to build a system that kind of goes around that entire thing. And so you kind of have those two approaches happening simultaneously. And, and that's kind of one of the points of tension that I think we kind of keep circling around, which is that, you know, it's one thing for regulators to look at what they think is kind of a niche fringe uh, financial activity. And it's another thing when they start worrying that this is going to start having a a significantly broader impact, like if Facebook makes it available to billions of people across the world, then they get really worried that, okay, we need to make sure that we have a really good handle on this and that we feel very comfortable about what might be happening.
0: Uh, Do do you think that there's any specific or like maybe not, you don't have, you don't know the specifics, but like a general regulation or a few regulations that you think, would be useful to helping cryptocurrencies and specifically stable coins and specifically deem reach its full potential for its ability to help
1: people? So that's a, a great question. And, and when we're done here, I can email it to you. But actually, the, uh, the Treasury Department had a working group that they pulled together to, to study this exact issue. And they just put out a report uh, about a month ago laying out their recommendations for what do we think is the right regulatory framework for stable Yeah, I would coins. definitely
0: appreciate it if you- Yeah, no,
1: I'll send it over. And and the, the biggest kind of takeaway from it was basically, if you want to issue a stable coin and you want to insist that it's, it's stable, it's tied to the US dollar, and you should be able to use it just like a dollar, okay, fine. If you want to do that, then you have to basically be a bank. We, you need to be an insured depository institution yeah. just like the bank down the street because if you're going to do something that you claim is so safe, we want to have the same sort of safeguards around you that we would a bank that we allow to do business in dollars. So I can can send you that report, but they're already thinking about that exact question that you asked, which is that, okay, this is clearly not going away. So what do we need to do to make sure that it's as safe as possible if people do decide that they want to
0: use it? Uh And one of of the biggest concerns on the the surface level that jumps out to me and and probably you too, and a lot of other people that look at this, (laughs) is that if the value of Deem were to somehow collapse, so many people would be left out to dry all over the world because of the global reach that Facebook has. Mm-hmm. And at that point, who, who would bail out the, the Deem Association and the, the, the bank that's backing it, that's issuing it? Because someone would need to bail them out in order to bail the consumers out. One would think that's what generally happens. Or do you think the governments would st- take a step back and actually say, You know what? You guys wanted to dabble with a non-government-issued currency. This is your punishment for it. Like now, that's your lesson. Now come back to us and the U.S. dollar and the euro and whatever.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. And you know, who bails out who is a a, a, you know before the financial crisis of two thousand eight? I don't think anybody would have said, "Oh, the government would definitely step in and save a bank if it was going to collapse." But then circumstances were such that they thought that was the best way to go forward with. What's interesting with stable coins, and and I think you're hitting the nail right on the head is, you know, there's a whole wide universe of cryptocurrencies that are stable coins and there's a whole host of other products. But what you see from the regulators is most of their attention is focused specifically on stable coins, you know, and I think that's exactly because of the, the dynamic you just pointed out, which is that, look, if you want to go invest in some brand new cryptocurrency that just got launched and you know nothing about it and you end up losing all of your money, I mean, you kind of knew what you were signing yeah. up for. You did not go into that thinking, oh, this is going to be a very safe, reasonable investment. You're really kind of gambling your money on mm-hmm. that. The problem with stable coins is that they claim to be stable. They say, look, we're just like a dollar. Um, and one of the issues that is concerning for regulators is any stable coin issuer can say we're as safe as a dollar. They can say all, every, you know, we have all sorts of money in the vault that guarantees that we can pay people back. But there's no way to know for sure because we don't have regulations for stablecoin issues. So that's the overarching concern is you want to go invest in cryptocurrency, you want to go invest in Doge, you want to invest in Bitcoin, you know, you know what risk you're taking on. When you put your money into a stablecoin, what they tell you is this is stable. This is going to be yeah. a one-for-one situation. And the concern from the regulators is we don't know that for sure. And we don't know what happens if people start freaking out and thinking, oh, this is not worth nearly as much as I thought it was. And they start yanking all their money out. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, a run on a bank, just like you might have in the past. And there's no backstop like we have now with uh, with FDIC insurance.
0: Yeah. So what do you think would make Facebook better at backing a currency than the U.S. government? Do you think that there's any advantages that they might have?
1: Um. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think Facebook would say, and people who who believe in something like DM would say, is look, they have a global reach. They, you know, they have more users than there are U.S. citizens. So their footprint is larger than the U.S. government in terms of who they can directly provide this currency to. Now, some people might think that's the biggest problem in the entire situation, as opposed to the biggest advantage. But you know, I don't think you know Facebook goes about issuing a currency because they know that they have this platform and they think that it's a viable way to use it. So I think that's, you know, where this whole initiative started out was, you know, we have access to more people on the planet than probably any other company or government uh, out there. So it would make sense for us to look into this. Um, That all being said, what, what we've kind of at least historically seen is that when a tech company or someone else wants to do something involving the financial system, there's a lot of pushback from the regulators who basically say, look, this is people's, you know, this is people's money. This is not their time. This is not, you know, what they're doing on Facebook. This is their money and there's an expectation that it has to be protected. And so we're going to go about this very, very cautiously and be very careful about what we decide is going to be worth doing.
0: Uh So so the first person that I interviewed for this podcast series was Anthony Pompliano, who actually used to work at Facebook. Mm -hmm. And when I was going over with him, you know, my own personal concerns for a Facebook-backed currency, he was very, very quick to say that, hey, you know, like, it, it's, a, it's a free market, and it's Facebook's intention to provide good products for the users, so the users look at it favorably. They're not looking to do anything that could possibly harm anybody. They're actually looking to use all their money and the power, and, and like you said, how uh, they're, massive global reach for good. And I, I found that very, very interesting. And that kind of pushed me onto, you know, looking at it as something, I, I, I think I was ignorantly initially shutting it down just because it was backed by Facebook. But the more I look into it and the more that I talk about it, I see how it is a very, very viable thing and has very has, has a lot of use cases in the world and could actually help a lot of people you know it's it's a shame that so many people don't have access to the banking and the financial system and then i have, have one more question for you which is it's a little more general and it's that one of the many reasons that crypto is so popular in in my opinion and just looking at you know the culture is that it's a hedge against inflation. However, fundamentally, there doesn't seem to be anything that actually makes it a hedge against inflation. And while tracking the markets recently, you can see how crypto has generally been moving with the market. Um, Where do you think that misconception comes from? Do you think that it has or maybe do you think it's not a misconception and it has some truth to it?
1: that's a that's a tough question. i I think. Valuations in the crypto space are still so new. It's hard to say definitively what it is or is not good as uh, as a market tool. Uh, uh, you know, we're not. You know, we we still have assets in, in in the crypto space that are you know moving. F- what crypto prices move in a way that would be unheard of for a traditional asset class like a stock or a bond yeah. in terms of the amount of fluctuations you can see. So then, uh, uh, when you take into account that in, in you know incredible volatility then the question becomes, well, is that is that a, a benefit or is that a hindrance? Do I like what that does for me uh, as an asset that I can invest in or not? I, there's a lot of people who would say, well, the last thing I want is uh, to invest in something that could go up or down 10% on any given day. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people would say, look, you know, uh, I'm getting nothing in my bank account uh, in terms of interest. Uh, uh, this seems like a place where I feel, you know, I know I'm taking on a lot of risk, but uh, uh, if you know you look at the historical charts of cryptocurrency, there's a lot of people who have made a lot of money uh, on that space. So whether or not it's a good hedge against inflation is, I think, too early to say. Uh, but are, are there people who think that or at the very least think that, look, this is the place I think I'm going to maximize my return uh, and I'm willing to tolerate the risk that comes with it? I think that's, that's absolutely the case right now.
0: Uh-huh. But I, I do think that that's a different argument that... It's a hedge against inflation versus saying mm-hmm. that it's a very volatile space or I have the highest potential to make great returns. But I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me.